At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Everybody and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota. We are on episode 94. It's been 94 episodes of talking to people in the state of Minnesota doing cool things. Uh, we talked to a lot of food makers, but we also have talked to people that have invented and disrupted technology, people that have made soap molecules. So if you hear a story and you're inspired by it or you want to let us know about a maker that you know, please feel free to reach out. We are on Facebook, also on Twitter, and on Instagram. And today, we are with Gretchen Prebix, and her and her husband own Sweetland Orchard. And who knew that you were such a Minnesota cider booster supporter, enthusiast, grower, all those things, Gretchen? We we, we try, I suppose. Yes. Uh, thank you for being on the show today. Um, I was doing a little bit of research about you guys, and can you tell me, like, had cidering been in your family? How did you get your farm? No, we, I grew up in Hastings, and there are a bunch of apple orchards in the St. Croix Valley. Sure. And so after college, I started going to McDougal's Apple Junction, which is where my elementary school music teacher had an orchard with her husband. And, like, way back in... A long time ago, like in 2000, Alice said, yeah, we're thinking about retiring one of these days. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And then even years later, Mike, my husband and I were both there. And and I said, "Hmm, I wonder if Alice is still thinking about retiring. And we called her up and it turned out she was. And then we started talking with them about the business. I mean, I don't know when you're a Minnesotan, like Minnesotans love apples. Yeah, for sure. People tell me all the time that their dream is to open up an orchard. So I think like there's a little there's like some apple gene in Minnesotans. (laughs) And so we just kind of followed through on that. And before buying the orchard from Gary and Alice didn't end up working out because they wanted to keep it in their family. But Mike started home brewing like a ton of people were at the time. Mm -hmm. And then he started making cider. He built his own cider press. A friend of mine had uh, his parents had a couple apple trees that were completely overloaded. And so we just started making cider at home like people would brew beer at home. And um, yeah, when the thing with Gary and Alice fell through, then we decided we had to decide if that's really what we wanted to do. And we found a really good fit for us. We found a, an existing orchard that had a cider press and had over 50 varieties of apples. And that was a great fit for us. And it's 45 minutes away from the Twin Cities. So yes. you're reasonably close. Yeah. Um, but you still get to have, I guess, the farm lifestyle. Yes, yes. We're in southern Scott County. 
uh, right in the middle of the county in a teeny tiny little area that is slated to remain agricultural land because Scott County is just developing really quickly. I was going to ask you yeah. about that, if there was a worry about that or... Yeah, definitely. Um, if you've ever heard of Cedar Summit Dairy, mm-hmm. they're I just have. okay. They're just north of New Prague, and they were looking at a time in the future when New Prague was going to expand to their farm, and they'd have to put pay for those sewer sewer lines. And yep. Um, so, but where where we are, the long term plan, at least as long as we'll be alive, <laughs> means that it's still going to be egg just right there in the middle of it. And there's still a lot of farmland around us. Um, although we have had a tour from the Department of Egg come down and they said, what's going on with all the paved driveways around here? Right. There's lots of little developments and then two and a half acre lots. But it's kind of just a little kind of hidden away. Yeah. So let us talk about you buy this farmland and there's 50 trees on it. Well, there were a thousand trees on it. Okay. 50 50 varieties. varieties. Excuse me. So 50 varieties of apples and your husband has been pressing and making cider. Did you have any like learning curve or were you able to hit the ground running and just start bottling Sweetland Orchard? Well, we learned about the business from Alice and Gary. And then we did kind of an apprentice year with the former owner, Bob. Mm-hmm. used to be called Bob's Bluebird Orchard. Because um, when you take over a farm that grows a perennial crop, there's not really ever a good time to take it yeah. over. You need to kind of just say, okay, here's when it's going to be. So and did so, you live out there for a year? Or? No, we just commuted to learn. We were pruning on the weekends and just would get down there when we could. And we sold at a farmer's market when yeah. it was still Bob, but the farmer's market let us sell under our own name. So that was helpful. And so we learned about the business from Gary and Alice. And then we learned about um, apples and pressing cider from Bob. And then I've learned a lot, actually, from being a member of the Apple Growers Association. And I'm a reader. I'm a huge reader. So I just I read a lot of research, too. I mean, I read everything I can. And then you just have to do it for a while. So when yeah. we when we went down there, um, we you know, we had a little bit of background, but we were pretty ignorant in the whole scheme of things. Like it took five years for us to feel like we knew what we were doing. But what we did to get into cider is our very first year, we just started pressing single varieties of apples. So like we would have juice that was just from Harrelson apples, yep. and then juice just from Jonathan, and then Paula Red. And then we would pitch into, the say, the Harrelson juice. We would pitch yeast one, yeast two, yeast three, yeast four, let them ferment, and then we'd taste them to see what tasted good. And we tasted a lot of bad cider that year. So it was just really <laughs> systematic, you know, just yeah. really scientific to figure out which varieties and which yeasts were good combinations. And, I mean, we started out with many, many, many combinations and came down to just a couple, really, that that worked well. And so... Did you know you would always be making cider with your apples? That was the plan. We just didn't know that it was going to be as big yep. as it would. So, like, a bottling line and a labeler, that was not part of the initial plan. The initial plan was to sell cider. I mean, before we even closed on the property, we had planted cider variety yeah. trees down there. Uh, and then, so 2010 was our experimentation year. And then 2011, what we pressed in 2011, we ended up selling 2012 because we got our liquor license in 2012. So the, the thing that changed was the scale of everything. Right. So we didn't, we didn't know cider was a thing. We were just going to do it because we could do it because it was fun. I mean, apples are fun and of themselves, but then you add yeast and fermentation and then you you get so yeah you get so many more flavors to work with it seems to like i was reading a statistic that in 2015 there were a hundred thousand gallons of cider that were made in at minnesota farms Mm -hmm. and that in 2019 that has ballooned to four hundred thousand gallons so did you kind of hit 
at a time when cider was becoming more mainstream, as it were, too? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because um, when we sold that first batch in 2012, I think it sold out in about a weekend and a half. Right. And then 2012 was that spring where we had, it was really hot, like 81 degrees on St. Patrick's Day. The trees blossomed, then like normal weather came in and killed all the blossoms off the trees. So we didn't have much of a crop that year. So um, 2012's crop going into 2013, we didn't sell much cider. And so then it was the realization, it was around that time that we realized, oh boy, we're going to, we're going to make a lot more cider than we thought because this category is just, it's growing really quickly. And so can you tell me what that felt like to, I remember that season and St. Patrick's Day, it was all great. We were out in the 80 degree weather in shorts and t-shirts, but I'm a gardener. So I was seeing all the trees budding out and did you lose your entire crop in that instance? We lost 90% of it. What does that feel like? You know, it, it wasn't a surprise that it was going to happen. I mean, if it was... the weather had been warm and you just predicted? Yeah, and the intermediate forecasts that were coming down were saying it's, it's going to get really yeah. cold. And so the trees had broken dormancy. The intermediate forecast comes out. And so there's something like to not being surprised. Although, I mean, if we got... You know, hail or a tornado. I mean, that would be surprising. But at the same time, I don't know. It's, it's like a farming agriculture thing. Like nature happens. And it's out you, of your control. Okay. That would be really hard for me because I'm kind of a control freak. So, well, so am I. Did you cry? <laughs> no. No. You just like, okay, crap, this happened. This is horrible. And we're just going to regroup. And Yeah, we had off-farm income at the time. So we weren't completely reliant on yep. basically our new business providing all of the income. Yeah, so we I had that. I would just have think that was just, oh, yeah. hard. Yeah, well, you have to build that in. I mean, you have to build in those catastrophic scenarios to your business plan. So did they tell you like something like that happens once every 10 years, 20 years? Like how often do those mm, kinds of events happen? That one was a really weird one. People who had been growing apples for 50 years. So that was the first time that had ever happened. But now it's becoming spring has become <clears throat> much more risky than springs used to be because we just have these temperature. You know, the temperature is going up high and it's down low. And I mean, I understand how averages come together, but we've since we bought the orchard in 2010, we've not really lived through very much average weather at all. Yeah, and it makes me wonder if the average weather is kind of past based on climate change or whatever is happening in the environment. Right, yeah. You look at averages and they have certainly been changing over time, but you have a winter that's super, super warm and then you have a winter that's super, super cold with the volt polar vortex. Well, you average those out, it looks kind of normal, like a teeny tiny bit warmer than it used to be. Right. But um, we're living with these really odd extremes and much wetter weather. The past two summers have been so wet. Yep. So you guys are living on the orchard full time. Are you both dedicated working, not other jobs at this point? Right. And you have how many brands of cider? Do you have six? Um. Yeah. So the brand of cider is just the orchard name, Sweetland Orchard. Yep. We want to do that to emphasize the agricultural roots of cider. And then we've got our three scrumpies. So scrumpy just means like farmhouse blend, rustic style. So we got the original rustic apple and the cherry rhubarb. And then we've got perennial, which is an heirloom blend, northern spy, which is a single variety cider made from just northern spy apples. With sale is like our winter seasonal aged on oak and spiced with apple brandy. And then we've got a roundabout rotating label that we use for different batches. So that's a batch number label. And then Borealis is our ice cider. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. 
and a less than perfect one. <laughs> Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. And how long have you done the ice cider? What? I th- three years. So we're in the middle of our fourth batch of it. I first picked it up at Certix. Um, they recommended it to me. And I had had ice cider in Montreal. I have family out there and everybody out there drinks ice cider. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's actually kind of a big deal. And I hadn't really seen it or thought about it here. And uh, Melissa Sertic actually was like, you should try this. I think you would like it. And she was right. Um, of all of your products, which one is your best seller? The cherry rhubarb is the best seller. I, I think it's so delicious, <laughs> but it's surprising Yeah, because you kind of read the label and I, I don't know. I like sweeter cider sometimes, especially if it's like a hot summer day. Mm-hmm. But then I also like just the drier and I like champagne and sparkling wine and all of that, too. But so it's kind of surprising because you think it's going to be really sweet, but it's not at all. Right. Yeah, we've uh, we've gone through a label change and we've tried to write some use some words on the labels that better describe what's actually in the package. And um, sometimes we're doing tastings in stores and we ask if people want to try it and they say no, usually because I think it's going to be really sweet. And we say, well, it's it's actually, you know, I mean, it's just just a little bit of sweetness to bring out that cherry and to bring out the rhubarb. But it's, I don't know, off dry, I guess I'd say. Yeah, it's a pretty great product. Um, what made you decide to, there's now a Minnesota Cider Guild and apparently you're the president? Yes. Okay, so did you say to all your fellow cider makers, and apparently there's like 110 of you? No, there's like, there's probably 16 in the state and 12 that are members of the guild. Okay. I thought, I don't know, maybe it's 110 apple varieties that I was reading or 110 mm-hmm. distilleries. I don't know. Okay. All I know is distilleries, beer, cider, like this whole category has just grown so much since the laws changed. What made you decide to band all of your fellow cider makers together to form a, a guild, as it were? Well, actually, it wasn't my idea at all. It was... Mm-hmm. um. It was Nate Waters at Keepsake Cidery, and he really wanted to formally organize. So Nate's just really good at um, reaching out and connecting people with each other. And so he was pretty insistent on it. And so we said, all right, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll come along and go along with this. And then I ended up being the president of it because... Um, I can I can just get stuff done. Yeah, you seem kind of organized and Yeah, and we had a serious agenda for our first year. I mean, we we formally organized and then I think a couple months later we put on the Cider Week and the Cider Festival. I mean, we had expected to do those things, but still that's a short time from formally becoming an organization to launching a a big event. And the event was amazing. The Cider Festival yeah. last mm-hmm. year? It it went Mostly well. I mean, there were a couple of things we changed for this year. This year, I'm I'm even more excited than I was last year. We're selling twice as many tickets. Uh, the venue's different, so yeah. it's at Como Lakeside Pavilion instead of City House. And last year, um, I I get to choose the ciders to bring in, so it's really fun to do yeah. that. And so last year, um, I brought in 88 ciders. This year, I think I'm up to about 108, and I've got to stop myself. <laughs> got to cut it off. It'll be hard to to know what what you should have and what you should try. And... It will, but we're printing up a program this year, okay. so I think that'll help people out. Uh, about a third of the ciders are from Minnesota cideries, so that I'm you know I'm trying to um, privilege the Minnesota cider makers a little bit, yep. so that since it's sponsored by the Minnesota Cider Guild, but we're bringing in U.S. craft and international ciders, so there's a lot for people to try and hopefully something that even like the most dedicated cider drinker has never had before. What's your date this year? Uh, Saturday, June 9th. Okay. 
calendar so that I have it. Um, when you think about cidering and your farm and the apples that you're growing, how do you, like, I can't imagine putting a budget together for, is it is it, you know, something that you can predict from year to year? How do you manage just a P&L for a cidery? Yeah, it was pretty difficult starting out at first because there was, there really wasn't a cider industry in the state and the cider that was being sold here wasn't being made from apples mm-hmm. that were being grown here. And then, you know, I mean, an orchard is a distinct business than uh, a pressing operation. And mm-hmm. that's a distinct business from a hard cider operation. And so uh, I can, there's been a lot of L, yeah. <laughs> a lot on the L side, but uh, we're in our fifth year of wholesale distribution now. And everything's evened out a lot. I feel like it, it helps to have made a reputation and um, it helps that we're not trying to we're not trying to grow a ton. Um, our focus is more on it's just quality relationships, good fits with the folks who are buying cider from us. We don't do a lot of marketing. I mean, maybe we'll grow some more someday, but right now um, we've been kind of stable in terms of Mm -hmm. the lineup of ciders that we have and about how much we're producing. And does that work for you? Like a lot of entrepreneurs, it's always, you know, better, harder, more, faster. Are you comfortable with where you're at if you can make a living for your family and just be sort of here? Is that okay? That is okay. Yeah, we've got pretty modest expectations for the kind of income that it'll generate. But if it can support our family, that's that's all we need to do. And, and Mike and I, we still have discussions all the time about what is the right size for and our how business. Much is, how much is this a lifestyle decision for you? Like, do you enjoy living on the um, farm and do you live there? And yeah, you, that's I thought you lived there, but mm-hmm. do you... Um, want to raise your kids in that type of environment like does that factor into the decision it does it does because if we wanted to make cider and have more of a business and profit generating focus we would definitely do things differently like you know what? well like we probably would add water to our cider mm-hmm uh, because when Mike took the cider making class out in New York, that was taught by Peter Mitchell. Peter Mitchell said his favorite ingredient in cider making is water, because as a standard, you can just add 15% water to whatever cider you're making, and it's his cheapest ingredient, and that's how he makes money on cider. I mean, we've we've dabbled and we've tried it, but we like our ciders just how they are, like full strength, I guess you could yep. say. Um, and so, you know, local sourcing, so Minnesota sadly is not the biggest apple growing state in the country. That would be Washington followed by New York and then Michigan. So Minnesota and Minnesota, it costs more money to raise apples because of our climate. Mm-hmm. And so apples are expensive here. So if I really wanted to make money selling cider in Minnesota, honestly, it's cheaper to buy apples or juice, juice instead of apples right. from out of state. Uh, or, you know, if I really wanted to make the most money I could, I'd I'd buy water and flavorings and sweeteners and go for broke call it cider and <laughs> but that's not yeah that's not that's not what we want to do we'd, we'd rather make something with a lot of integrity i mean the interesting part of all of this is i mean it's nature yeah really i mean it's it's great to have the kids out there it's great to be able to plant a vegetable garden and an herb garden that i can use in a berry patch that i can use for ingredients it's great 
um, we're getting we're getting pigs next year or this year, this year, next week, I meant to say, uh, which is something we've wanted to do the whole time. And so we get to we do get to live a great lifestyle. We still have to make we still have to make money to buy everything that we can't grow. I mean, to to buy any food that we're not growing ourselves and uh, put the roof on the house and stuff like that. Um, And we're working kind of hard right now. (laughs) Uh, It's it's not it's not exactly sustainable. But I think that by the time we figure everything out, we'll be we'll be we'll be okay. What is the determiner of someone like if I how do I if I go to a liquor store like, how am I going to decide your product versus someone else's? Is it are those tastings just that important? Yeah, tastings are really important, and then getting to know some of the folks who are working at the store yeah, and getting they some seem of them. To champion you guys. Well, I mean, if you can talk to them and let them know who you are and get them to taste what you're selling, that helps. And a lot of people who go into a store, they don't, they might not even end up talking to somebody. So then your packaging has to do something for you. I like your packaging. Who did it? Uh, a friend of ours uh, by the name of Sam Falbo. And so he's done, like, my cousin came up with our logo, and then Sam does the our, all of our label and, and carton design work. And so we he recently redesigned everything uh, to launch the Rustic Apple. And he he's great at it. And he, know, he knows us. Yeah. And so he can, I can say, well, here's the cider. And then he can say, okay, well, let me work on something. And then he'll send something back. And I say, great. It's homey, but it's not like schlocky and it's kind of, it's interesting. It's a little edgy. Yeah. I he, like it. Yeah. He uses, he does paper cuts. Like that's his, that's his preferred medium and uh, totally works for us. And yeah. he gets a little artistic freedom and yeah, we're, like we're happy with it. Um, what are there apples that you're just crazy about that you're just like when you're going to go and eat an apple and you're just going <sighs> to eat it, what are you going to eat? Well, when the apples are ripening, there's a different best apple every week. You know, because the season is from August through the end of October. And so, you know, we've got so many different varieties ripening. There is a different apple. To, so there's just a different best apple every week. Do you week. ever get sick of them? I haven't yet. No. Do you make other stuff? Like, are you the best apple pie maker in the world? No, <laughs> I wish. I love I love to eat apple pie, but I don't often take the time to make crust i make cider donuts down at the orchard in the fall which is kind of fun do you ever use your cider in like sometimes we hear about beer cocktails do you ever do like cider cocktails or is that um like my home cider cocktails never get any more tricky than like perennial plus aperol over ice which is pretty good actually sounds really good (laughs) i would never have thought to do that but thank you (laughs) sure but we got our distilling license now so it's a we're we have our farm distillery license which is different than the micro distillery license we can't actually the only way we could legally sell any apple brandy we make is if we sell it to a wholesaler and then buy it back to sell it which is weird we're hoping we can work on some legislation there but i want to actually come up with more of a beverage program at the orchard for this fall so that we could do um, so we can work with the wide range of ingredients that we're growing from and then work with fresh juice up to fermented juice and bitters that we're making yeah. and because there's there's just a lot that you can make with apples and you invite people to come out to the orchard well yeah we're just open to the public on weekends in september and october i think that's pretty neat it's it's um our Mike's folks come and my mom comes and sometimes my sister's down. So it's it's kind of like good family time and they all yeah, pitch in. And they really they really contribute. 
I might come and visit you this fall. <laughs> you should. <laughs> you should. It is not that far away. So no. it's it, usually people say, oh, I'm surprised it didn't take very long to get and we here. We love to take a good fall drive. So thank you for talking with us about the ciders at Sweetland Orchard. Uh, you're the Minnesota Cider Guild president. If people have questions about that, they can follow up with you. We will um, put a link to your information on our Facebook page. Also on our Instagram, and I would encourage everybody to try cider if you haven't. I was kind of a snob about cider when I, I, I didn't think I would like it. I mm. was just like, nah, I don't know that I'd ever drink this. Boy, have I been wrong. Well, that's the thing. Cider's not just a bubbly, sweet drink. There's so many different styles of yes. cider. So folks don't. If folks think they don't like cider, they probably just haven't met the right one yet. Yeah, and just keep trying it because they can be super complex and very different. Definitely. All right, thanks. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. An F-16 pilot having hydraulic problems with his aircraft managed to parachute to safety as the plane smashed into a warehouse east of Los Angeles. Fire Captain Fernando Herrera. That pilot landed in the uh, March Air Force Base area. In the base itself. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries after the plane hit the building. Alabama executed a man last night for his role in killing four people after an argument over a pickup truck. Tennessee executed a man who killed his wife. Reporters couldn't see the execution, but AP correspondent Travis Lawler says... We could hear sounds, uh, including a singing that uh, uh, Mr. Johnson's attorney says was him singing a hymn. Answering a reporter's question, President Trump said he hopes the U.S. is not on a path to war with Iran. Mr. Trump has dismissed suggestions that any of his advisors are trying to push him into a conflict. I'm Rita Foley.